Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How would you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset, and that's when you can reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. Look, it's summertime. Transfer window is coming up. It's gonna get crazy. So if you ever just wanna, again, take a step back and relax, read the transfer rounds, read the gossip rumors, grab a Coors Light. It'll be perfect companion for all those transfer merry-go-rounds. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. The mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when the beer is cold. That way you always know when it's time to chill. When you need to hit reset, just open a Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Now that it's finally hot in Minnesota, I'm going to be looking for an easy beer to drink, and Coors Light is perfect for that. It's lagered, it's cold filtered, and it's cold packaged. It's, again, made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies perfect for a moment to unwind and so when you want to hit reset reach for the beer that's made to chill get coors light in the new look delivered straight to your door with drizzly or instacart coors brewing company golden colorado and as always celebrate this this is joe cole this is ruben off the cheek and you're listening to the london London is blue podcast Hey, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode of the London is Blue podcast. We're going to get into a lot of conversation today, but before we do that, we just want to take a moment and talk about the murder trial for George Floyd that came through with Derek Chauvin being found guilty on all three counts. Uh, obviously, Brandon lives in Minneapolis. He's a part of that community up there. And just, you know, our, our thoughts are with the hopeful relief that this can bring uh, to George Floyd's family and friends. And... You know, Nick, I mean, I just think we're uh, glad to hear the results. Obviously, there's still more trials to come in this matter. And, you know, we just uh, hopefully wish that everybody, you know, stay safe. And this can kind of continue to be some of the good work that we build upon to build build a better world. Yeah, look, uh, it's all about the communities. And, you know, Minneapolis has been afflicted with a number of these incidents uh, over the last uh, handful of years. And, uh, we just hope everyone stays safe out there tonight. We, you know, it, it's probably too early to say, but it seems like there are going to be protests uh, happening all over the country again. And, and just we hope everyone stays safe, keeps their heads, and you know, protests are part of the American ideal. It's what we were founded on. Uh, throwing uh, throwing some tea into the haba, you know, and as long as it's done safely, I think we're all going to be okay. But uh, we know this is a charged and emotional time. Uh, we're going to talk about some charged and emotional stuff on today's podcast, but we would have been remiss uh, to not mention this at the beginning of the episode and hope that for those who were were paying attention to the to the trial, that it, it brings some level of peace. Well, with that said, we are going to talk about a lot of things. We're going to talk about how Chelsea saved football today. That's right. We were ruining <laughs> oh it God. in 2003. We're saving it in 2021. Oh, uh, and, and we drew to Brighton, too. But we got Nick here, uh, myself, Dan, as well, and no Brandon today, as we previously stated. But good friend of the show, Joe Tweeds, joins us. And, and just Joe, rapid fire, immediate feeling. How are you doing? This has been crazy, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, you know, I often say Chelsea is about chaos and trophies. Um, sometimes that chaos is fun. Sometimes that chaos is bad. But the, the past from, from Sunday until today, I mean, talk about going through the ringer and the full gambit of emotions as a, as a football fan immediately my my kind of reaction on Sunday was I think one of shock and then kind of disappointment and maybe some some anger um Monday kind of as things sort of you know settled a little bit 
and it felt like there was a possibility this was going to be a long-term thing turn a little bit more to to I would say anger and, and disappointment um and then obviously the events of today how quickly things have, have turned around um yeah kind of ending the day even though you know we, we drew the game and, and and all the sort of stuff that happened around the actual match itself I think it was a little bit secondary to to the events that we saw today so you know thoroughly thoroughly delighted um you know I, I, we, we'll get into the details in in sort of the latter part of this but I'm, I'm happy that sort of some sense has prevailed here um whether it is the you know the fact that what thousand fifteen hundred fans whatever he turned up Stanford Bridge um the massive massive um backlash from everyone online towards the club I would not want to have been the in the social media department at Chelsea over the past couple of days let's put it that way um but I think now we can hopefully look at a a way of turning this moment into something positive and looking into a future where maybe you know, we can start looking towards UEFA and FIFA and the Premier League and actually trying to make football a better game and more inclusive. Um, and then also taking some of this energy and I think putting it into more um, sort of just worthy causes as well. So overall, I think as we sort of sit here today, uh, you know, it's, it's sort of the end of Tuesday for me. Um, happy, very, very happy with how things have turned out. But, you know, been up and down, I would say, the past couple of days. So crazy, crazy time as a Chelsea fan and probably as a football fan in general. Um, but I think now we're kind of at a position where we hopefully can look forward and start to uh, see some changes in the game and uh, come together a little bit more and show this kind of passion and unity and, and, and togetherness around some of the bigger issues as well. Well, we are going to get into all of that. We're going to talk about the reports of Chelsea withdrawing from the Euro uh, European Super League, the first domino to fall that brought down the entire house that Prez tried to build. We're going to talk about a reaction to the news, praise the supporters for their activities in helping make this change, uh, this U-turn happen so quickly. And, you know, maybe we'll talk about the bright match you know, even though it really was the only thing that spoiled uh, a true buzz and exhilaration that came from the news that Chelsea and others were leaving the Super League today. But we do have a couple of three-word reviews that I threw in here. Um, we asked for three-word reviews of Chelsea leaving the European Super League, and there were one or two about the match. But Nick, no Brandon here, so I'll give you the right to uh, take take a few here and uh, give give your verdict and uh, look, I also threw Matt's tweet in here because I shortened it to a three-word match review. Yeah, well, it can be it can be shortened for sure. Matt's tweet, which uh, Dan expertly retweeted, uh, which we will find later in the in the episode. Football's red wedding, <laughs> tremendous. I just dead on, incredible. Uh, the betrayal, the backstabbing. Uh, this is all the self part of football now. So uh, football's red wedding, classic. Derek Kernan Johnson, one of our favorite people, uh, with principle over performance. Love that. Stanford Chidge, uh, well-known friend of the show and former chair of the Chelsea Supporters Trust, just tweeted Chelsea Supporters Trust, which I second. I don't even have my own. I just second that because of the work that they do. Uh, and so they they deserve all of my, my three-word match reviews. Then Steve Tetrault with Thank Matthew Harding. Uh, as his three-word match review saying, with the CPO, the CST, and the fact that our club cannot afford to go to war with its fans, the beginnings of the unrest were enough to move the board. That's, that's solid. And then finally, a couple of uh, funny ones, if, if you will. No killer instinct and flat but understandable. Uh, this is in regards to the match, but no killer instinct also in regards to the, uh, the European Super League, uh, which <laughs> lasted all of all of two days. So... Uh, Maratta in front of goal, if you will. 
Wow. Okay. Well, that, that's a throwback right there. But we definitely have a couple of ours as well. Uh, Nick, I know you said yours was the Chelsea Supporters Trust. Did you have one for the match as well? No. Okay. Well, that's great. Uh, Joe, you and I were talking before we started recording. I think you've got a spicy three-word Chelsea leaving the ESL review. <laughs> yeah, slightly, uh, slightly tongue-in-cheek here, but uh, Roman saves football. Quote uh, a little <laughs> winky face, you know, the little winky emoji at the end of it there. Um yeah, I mean, it's, it, you know, Nick takes one giant drink of bourbon here. <laughs> mm. Nick is now Mm-mm. taking a very long sip of uh, of what appears to be a very nice bourbon. Wow, he's still sipping that bourbon, too. <laughs> Tell you what. Is, is that a big gulp size? I mean, man. That's, yeah, that's what you get on the day that we leave the ESL. You go to your favorite local haunt and you bring yourself a big gulp cup and they fill it with bourbon. That's what you do. Amazing. Uh, well, I went with the the building off of Matt Law's fantastic tweet. I went with the Londoners send regards, <laughs> uh, particularly pointed at one Perez for his inept interview and uh, kind of conspiratorial manners of trying to put this together, which, yeah, I, I, I don't want to go through who that makes everybody in, in this this world, but we're, we're just going to go with it. And then a three-word match review. Wait, what match? The match did not matter today. Like, yes, it would have been great to get three points, but the match really was secondary to everything else that was kind of going on. Correct. But hey, a couple quick gratitudes. Uh, we want to thank a couple of people for signing up on Patreon, probably because of the amazing Joe Tweeds King's Road newsletter and then mailbag that's been going on. We want to thank Joshua, Justin, Ricardo for yearly subs. We want to thank Peter for upgrading. Jeff, Dalton, and Harper for jumping on as new monthly subs. Uh, then we've got a couple of podcast reviews, too. We want to thank them as well. Uh, J-F-H-S-G-B-D, blah, 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 a bunch of letters and consonants and no vowels. Uh, and then Sir Luther uh, with some five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts. So if you leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, we shout it out every episode. We really appreciate that. Nick's got a few housekeeping items here about who's coming up next on the guest roster. And then we'll get to an ad break and then jump in. Yeah, if you could believe that there's more matches to play in the season after the last three days. Well, we weren't kicked out, so there are more matches to play. Well, there still might be. Um, we'll see. We'll see what happens before Saturday. Uh, assuming we play West Ham on Saturday, we're going to have uh, first-time appearance for Abby McCarthy on the show. Super pumped about this. Uh, so give her a follow on Twitter if, if you can. Uh, then, if we're not kicked out of the Champions League, <laughs> we'll be playing Real Madrid next week. So that'll be fun, and we'll just see kind of what happens there. And then uh, and then we're going to try and get Matt Law on sooner rather than later. We have a schedule with him for next week, but we might, I don't know, Dan, we, we may have to we have to see if there's some uh, shenanigans we could pull with our scheduling with him because uh, good thing there's nothing to talk about around uh, Chelsea Football Club right now. So those are, those are the things coming up. Yeah, well, we, again, no shortage of things to talk about with Chelsea. As Joe said, chaos and trophies, and hopefully we're about to add a few more trophies to that cabinet this season. But anyway, quick ad break. Thanks, sponsors, for supporting the show. We'll be right back. All right, so, Joe, we had you sum up your feelings. Uh, I want to get Nick's perspective now, just talking about how you felt when the ESL was announced and how are you feeling now knowing that Chelsea are pulling out, that that was the domino that took everything else with it, and we are not joining the ESL, and it's actually not even happening now. All right, so we got Joe's comments at the beginning, but Nick, here's your turn to sound off on the feelings you've had from the moment the Super League was announced, because we haven't had a podcast since it was announced. It was literally happening as we were finishing our last recording with Naz, (laughs) to the point now 
where we've now had another match and it has died before we ever got to talk about it, which maybe was a little bit of strategy for us. We did not want to jump out there and maybe say some things because we also thought that this could happen. We thought this could fall and it did. So feelings, thoughts, where are you at? Yeah, I, I think there's there's this old rule in journalism, and we are by no means journalists, but it's a good rule to follow regardless, that you want to be right, you don't want to be first. Um, we held a couple of locker room sessions on Sunday as the news kind of broke, and then I've been doing these kind of fun little voice tweets over the last couple of days, just kind of sharing my thoughts and feelings around stuff. You know, we've reached out to our friends at the Chelsea supporters club or trust. And we've, and we've seen, um, you know, our thoughts from, you know, season ticket supporters and like season ticket holders and supporters that we really trust who have been going for a long time, who I think are a really good high watermark for how, you know, one should feel in this situation. And so just, I've been trying to observe and, and take in as much information as I possibly could over the last handful of days. And I've, I think the easy thing to do, and and it turns out the right thing to do, but the easy thing to do is be really mad right away and just to be visceral in your reaction. Um, but there there were there are so many concurrent things happening here that like as a as a strategist at my job, like I couldn't overlook the fact that we're you know at the same time that this is announced and, and strategically quote unquote announced UEFA rolls out their plan for the next, you know, kind of, uh, it's not a CBA, but it's like their, their next bargaining agreement essentially how they're going to run their, their program. And part of my brain always thought, okay, is this leverage? Is this, you know, is this a bargaining chip? Like, what is this? Like, cause it, you know, I think, Dan, you mentioned this on, on the locker room on Saturday. Their website, the Super League website, looks so shoddily put together. It looked, you know, there wasn't, <laughs> you know, there wasn't, like, a ton of detail around it. There, You know, there just, it just didn't seem super real because of the lack of detail and structure that was put out. And so uh, I was mad. And then, uh, like Joe, when Monday kind of came and went and it seemed more official that we were going to leave and, you know, be in this weird thing with somehow Tottenham and Arsenal, which is just a joke. Uh, I got a little depressed. Um, my, my anger, my visceral reaction moved to depression. And then today I was on a meeting in the middle of my workday and I came back and Brandon and Dan had tweeted me that, Hey, we're out and everything's fine again. And I was like, what <laughs> what just happened uh and it, it's all it's all just happened so fast that I don't, I don't really know how I feel but I I will say this uh, I said this yesterday and I, and I retract my statement there were no winners as of yesterday there are there is a clear group of winners today and that is the supporters who showed up and showed out over the last handful of days incredible stuff I mean just incredible what a large group of people can do to take the sport that is theirs back from governing bodies and Florentino fucking Perez and all these other people. I, you know, I just, I'm very, I'm very proud uh, to be counted as a supporter. And I'm very proud of everyone who went down to the bridge tonight to protest um, semi-peacefully, although, you know, you could hear some, uh, some foul language. It wasn't a violent protest. Um, 
And I'm, I'm just, they're, they're the hero, the heroes in the story that deserve our plaudits, Dan. That's it. Yeah. I, I don't think any one owner or board who's reversing a decision where there was money on the table and it was a movement to make more money gets to claim gets gets any claim to being the hero in this story you know they get to claim potentially that they were first to to turn around and i'm glad that chelsea were the first club to wake up from perez's spell and say wait a minute this was not the right thing to do this is maybe not going to be good for our brand this is not going to be good for our supporters it's not going to be I imagine not going to be good with the relationship with sponsors. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of motivating factors behind the decision and we're not going to know beginning to end how much of them made up the percentage of the pie that forced each of these clubs to turn around. But I will say, and, and you know, if you watch the videos today from the supporters outside of Sanford bridge, you know, we, we were the beneficiaries of being the match the first kind of real match, you know, even though there was the match you know, Liverpool had yesterday against Leeds, this was the first one where there was a massive fan contingent in front of it, where there was a visual representation of what is probably normally considered as a part of an Excel spreadsheet, which is match day revenue, right? Like this is this is what the you know when when the club is looking at an accounting balance sheet, this is match day revenue. That was the supporters in front of Sanford Bridge who made their voices heard and. Yeah, I think Joe, to their credit, uh, did everything in their power and more to really help provide a good reminder of just how how much football is fans. Yeah, that's a that's a really good point there, Dan. Um, I think when it comes to Chelsea fans, we have two very extreme ends of the spectrum. We either are quite docile and we don't particularly care about stuff, or we go absolutely nuclear and we make we make ourselves heard. And that can also translate, I think, a little bit sometimes to the atmosphere in the ground. Sometimes the atmosphere can be a bit bit docile. But then when it really matters, I'm thinking for me back to the Napoli game in the 2012 Champions League run, the Stamford Bridge atmosphere was just unbelievable. It's not like anything I've ever heard in a football ground. Um, and I think today you've got, I think, a combination of a lot of fans who are frustrated that they've not been able to go to football for a very long period of time now. Um you know, for these people, it's a social aspect. It's going having a beer with your mates. It's it's the singing. It's the whole the whole experience. It's not just going to watch Chelsea. And to see them sort of mobilised today, maybe fifteen hundred people there. I mean, it, it started off a couple of hundred, and then you could just when they sort of did that big kind of pull back on the shot, there was an awful lot of people there. Um, you know, sadly, as we see in this, uh, what was it, fifteen to twenty four demographic who have been demonised <laughs> by Florentino Perez for not caring. I saw an awful lot of young faces there today. Um, and I think the way that they protest, I think, you know, Nick's, Nick's got a point. I think Chelsea fans, we do have a little bit of an edge when it comes to, uh, aggression and language when it comes to songs, but I don't think we ever really kind of tipped over to it becoming a, like a sour moment or there being, you know, massive amounts of police coming. What, what I meant by that was they didn't, they didn't attack the buses exactly, like, yeah. like they did at Leeds, right? Like that, <laughs> yeah. that's my point. They, yeah. they held their ground. They, they stood there, they shouted, but it wasn't, it wasn't a violent altercation. Well, and it they, was they sat down, they sat yeah. down yeah. on the King's road when they were told to disperse, like what an excellent form of protest to say, you know what? You guys weren't prepared for us to Smart. be here. We are, we are here. Full yeah, uh, yeah. Sorry, full Broadway. Yeah, yeah. Um, when 
we're going to sit down, we're going to be present, we're going to make ourselves heard. Uh, would have liked to have seen a little bit more mask usage. Uh, yep. But beyond yep. that, <laughs> uh, just in general, you know, very what looked like to be great atmosphere created by, you know, some of the, the best supporters in, in all world football. And, you know, I mean, the fact that you have Joe, you know, you've got Gary Neville coming out and like tweeting positive things about Chelsea supporters, like just yeah. like, this is a merging of the worlds. Like this it's a is a global when... <laughs> reaction. I find it very strange. I mean, there are an awful lot of fans that dislike Chelsea and Chelsea supporters for a, a number of reasons. But when you're seeing, you know, uh, fans of like Millwall and West Ham and other clubs who really have no affinity towards Chelsea coming out with pictures saying like, this is the moment that football was saved. And you're like, wow, okay. You know, whether, whether these guys have had a really massive tangible impact or not, I think the, the, the kind of salient and very obvious kind of statement they were making, the, the publicity, the, you know, the visual that they've created, I think it was so powerful to see. And then obviously the moment when Petr Cech comes out and sort of starts talking to, to the crowd, um, you know, this this felt to me like I was in the middle of an episode of Black Mirror. It was just some very surreal kind of, you know, multiverse of, of football, was, which was happening. Um, but a real, I think, a real credit to those guys in terms of their their efforts, their ability to to make something like this happen on very short notice. Um, and as you say, to to carry it off in such a a manner where there's no, you know, attacking of buses or there's no property damage or whatever you want to say, cool, calm, collected, but aggressive and passionate and and really making their their voices heard. Um, and I think, yeah, we can say certainly that they have played an enormous role um, in, in sort of forcing the, the hand here, whether, whether decisions are going on in the background or not. You know, if, if there was ever a question that Chelsea were 50-50, I think that response outside of the stadium um, would certainly have, have tipped it into Chelsea's favour. So, yeah, I think they, they, should, they definitely deserve a, an enormous pass in the back. And for me, I think, again, it, it kind of, in a way, represented a little, little bit of what we've kind of missed this season, missing having fans in, in, in the ground. You know, just having that little bit of emotion um it got everyone behind them on social media i mean again not just chelsea fans everyone behind them and that little bit of emotion missing that in the grounds i think it kind of drove it home to everybody at that point in time and you know massive massive props to those guys that that's my point i think more than anything what i realized today is if there would have been fans in the stands for the last year there is not a chance in hell that this proposal would have been carried out as shoddily as it was in the first place you know, this has been mooted for a long time. You know, this European Super League has been mooted for a long time. This, it shouldn't have been a surprise when it came out, right? Uh, that, you know, Barcelona, Real Madrid, and Juventus have suffered massive financial losses and they need, you know, additional funding to survive. It's because their clubs are run like morons. I mean, they're, they're poorly run clubs. And, uh, yeah. you know, it's, it's not a surprise on the timing, but there's just not a chance that the English clubs, in my opinion, would have been at the forefront of this if there were fans in the stands over the last year and they would have heard rumblings of this coming. Like those, that last home match that Chelsea would have had before today would have been an absolute riot. It would have been crazy. And we saw, we've seen this multiple times. So, you know, I think it, the, you know, Rob, Robbie Earl, Dan today on the NBC telecast said that for football is, created by the fans for the fans will remain in the fans' hands because they took the initiative and, and took it back. Um, you know, they, the fans don't own the clubs like they do in Germany, you know, where there's the 51% plus rule. But I think you saw where the center of power was today. And that was really clear. 
Yeah, it represents a bit of a shift, particularly, you know, we, we've talked a couple of times about the impact of not having fans in the stands this season. We talked about that on the impact of Frank Lampard getting sacked mm-hmm. and how palpable would that decision have been for Chelsea and the board if they had to, you know, answer to the fans the next game? Um, much easier to do when you're not going to have a demonstration or have a vocal majority in that case uh, responding in that moment. And so I think today was a good reminder of the impact that fans and supporters can have. You know, I think the the you know, let's talk about like just, you know, moments or images from the protests that are going to kind of like stick with you afterwards. Like, I, I think. Probably the most iconic one to come out of this will be Petr Cech with the police in front of him, the shot directly behind him, and all of this wave of Chelsea supporters, you know, with signs who are just kind of advocating for, you know, this isn't my Chelsea, you know, that like say no, things of that nature. But are there any other items or moments that like you will remember from this in particular, uh, either Nick or Joe? Uh, the the Grand Theft Football sign was, <laughs> I mean, it's epic. I mean, it's yeah. an epic sign. It's super well done. Someone took paper mache, you know, in school. They really nailed that one. Um, I thought that was perfect. I mean, there there's so many iconic signs, show about, you know, who owns uh, the clubs and, and where football should remain and all that stuff. But I will I will forever remember where I was even though I was in meetings uh, earlier today, uh, because it, it just, again, it feels like whether it is this way or not, whether the Super League happens someday or not, it feels like today was a Gandalf, you shall not pass moment in, in mm. football. And it's big. It's big because the more corporate it becomes, the less the fans are heard. And, and hopefully there's some reversal of that today. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of moments for me. And I think the one overarching thing here is, I think quite often as fans, you feel a little bit insignificant in terms of the overall kind of corporate machine and the way football is trending. And quite often, I think some people maybe don't particularly want to to try or feel invested or get invested into into movements because, you know, what's the point? It's going to happen anyway. I think kind of what today has shown, certainly the past couple of days, and I'm talking, you know, both about sort of the the in-person protests um, on Fulham Broadway today, but also just the the overwhelmingly unified response on social media. And actually, it's the first time I've really felt that social media has had a positive impact in football for a very long time. Um, <laughs> you know, those, those sort of moments. So I think hopefully people can can sort of cling on to them as sort of uh, beacons for for the future, um, because we don't have to just accept what's happening. We can voice our opinion. We can make ourselves heard. And in some cases, the club will listen. Um, I think there was there's two moments. I think Nick, the the, the Petr Cech one with the police and and that sort of photo, that is a sensational photo. I mean that that will be you know something that maybe in four, five, six years time, if there's loads of changes in in football and things are moving in a positive direction, that is seen as sort of one of the the kind of the denouement, one of the real kind of junctures when things in football really really change. And there was another one. I'm really struggling to find it. I'm just scrolling through my timeline, but you know there was this sort of trend on social media of of making everything into an album cover. And there was this, there's this really drawn back photo of, of all the fans marching down Stamford Bridge with a blue like uh, flare kind of in the background. And it just felt like that was kind of like a real sort of iconic shot of, 
of the fans and sort of what it meant to what it meant to them today. Some great signs, I think. Yeah, Nick's right. The the Grand Theft Auto kind of stylized sign that that was fantastic. Um, what was it? The you know we we want our cold nights in Stoke or, or something along yeah, those lines as well was super super <laughs> funny. Um, but I think yes, yeah, say the the big takeaway for me and the, the overarching theme of all this is that you know regardless of of how big the game gets and how maybe sort of distance it is from, from normal fans or what do they call us? Legacy fans. I have to use the correct terminology in this. All of us are in the plus 25, plus 26 yeah. range. So we are yeah, the so legacy we're, we're, le- we're legacy and we're aged. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I think it just goes to show people that, you know, when, when something matters and really matters and people mobilize and people actually pull together in the right direction, that you do still have the ability to make changes. Football is still ultimately the game of the people. And I think today, you know, it might be sort of overselling it, but if, as I say, if now in the future we see changes at UEFA, more transparency, more transparency on FIFA in the World Cup, you know, all, all of these things which I think will come out of this, um, you know, maybe cheaper cheaper TV deals from BT and Sky, less fixture nonsense, you know, sending people from the south of England to the north of England at nine o'clock on, on a Monday for a kickoff so they can't get back to work. All these sorts of problems that are surfacing. If this is the catalyst for that moment, then, you know, we'll look back in two, three years' time. I think we've... You know, I think people are quite proud of what's happened now. I think in a couple of years' time, it could be something that we really sort of revel in as, as, as a fan base. Well, I think that it's, it's a really important point to make here, right? The people who are responsible for saving what we know to be football in 2021 are not the people who put us in this mess in the beginning. Yeah. And that is that's a powerful statement to say out loud. Um, and we saw our friend Yan earlier get, get teary eyed as he kind of went through his Instagram live and you could feel the emotion and his voice and you could kind of hear it in, in what he was saying, but it, it was the actions of a few that caused a lot of heartburn for a lot of people and for a lot of, you know, the legacy fans, uh, Chidge, JK, you know, Dan, Clayton, all of our friends who we love and adore, who we go over to see. And, and I, the, the moment cannot come soon enough where we all are all together again, uh, drinking at the cock tavern for them to go, man, this might be it for me. (laughs) This might, this might be it for me. This might be the final straw after everything we've been through as fans. This might be the final straw. And then to see it clawed back like a drug beheader in the 88th minute in Munich, you know, it, it's just, it's really special. And it doesn't mean that all of our problems are solved, you know, as a, as the resident pragmatist on the show, I will say like it, there's going to be a lot that falls out of this, you know, and I, I would yeah. anticipate there's going to be punishment for every single one of the English clubs, at least who are, who are involved in this. And there should be. I mean, there absolutely just should be. Sorry, man. Like, uh, you make you make a boneheaded decision without the insight of others, and this is what should happen. But I think for for now, for today, let's revel in the victory of making voices heard, of the the reaction being so complete and so total and so aligned with everybody that. Uh, you know, the club cannot look at this in any other way but to say, hey, we screwed up. To send Petter check out there, Dan, <clears throat> is a is an acknowledgement that we cannot send anybody else 
in the board to go talk to the fans right now. Well, because they're I, never so, gonna they're never gonna hurt Petrchek, but I I don't know if that would have been the same case. Well, Pe- Petrchek got else. booed. Petrchek got booed. If you watch back the video, yeah, yeah, Petrchek is trying to you know yeah. plead to to let the yeah. bus get through to give them time to get this sorted. And look, uh, you know, you could also argue that maybe Petrchek uh, just registered another uh, save and another clean sheet there <laughs> today. Um, but I think you called out a couple of people in particular. You called out Chidge. You called out a bunch of our friends who are longtime season ticket holders, generational Chelsea supporters, uh, all members of the Chelsea Supporters Trust. And Legacy fans, Dan. Legacy <laughs> fans, I'm, I believe. Um I'm going to change it from uh, legacy to legendary because mm. I think that is a better L word to use to describe <laughs> those type of supporters. Uh, but the, the Chelsea Supporters Trust, it's it's a five pound investment. Uh, so in your local currency, it may be a few dollars more. Um, but they are the voice to the board. You know, it's, it's it's people who are bringing this kind of collective, you know, anger or frustration sometimes or legitimate concern to the board. Uh, I just want to read their statement and, you know, offer a thanks to them in this mm-hmm. moment, too, because they were doing a lot of work behind the scenes. But their statement was enough is enough. Tonight, the fans said, no, we demanded that we were listened to. We demanded that we were heard and we demanded that the club that we love was not sold for greed and self-interest interest. While we await official confirmation, it's likely that the CFC will dr- withdraw from the Super League. This is a victory for the supporters. We did this together. The Chelsea Supporters Trust is unashamedly proud of its members across the globe. We shouted and they had to listen. This, The position of the number of the CFC board is now untenable and the Chelsea Supporters Trust will continue to push for what is right. The Chelsea Supporters Trust board is proud of our members and supporters. Together we are stronger. This is our club and that will never change. That was their statement, and uh, I think pretty resounding and strong statement from uh, you know I'm sure penned uh, in part Joe from a few of our friends who uh, <laughs> are involved in the trust. Yeah, um, I don't really have much more more to add about the the supporters trust, um, and I, I want to sort of extend this because I think that's been sort of the message among football fans really is it's not just an initial thing with Chelsea. The supporters trust from Arsenal, Liverpool, Tottenham, etc. Yeah. It, again, sort of what I was saying earlier, it shows the power that, that these fan groups and these these trusts, these these fans who have, have been there, seen it, done it, have experience with a club, um, can interrupt the club in sort of an intelligent fashion. Can I think they they have more power and an ability to shape the direction of of, of what they want to see in football. Um, you know, the, the spirit of Shankly Group were absolutely superb kicking this this whole thing off. Um, and I think obviously Chelsea and Tottenham and Arsenal, et cetera, have all, have all followed suit United um, it, it's, and City as well. It's, it's been such an enormously sort of coordinated and well-planned attack. And the, the, the ironic thing here will be that these supporters groups don't have the billions and billions of pounds behind them that obviously this Super 12 uh, or Super 12, I'm calling it, the uh, Super League have, have, you know, have, you know, behind them. And yet through the power of, of the passion for the game and actually the real love of, of the the sport and their clubs, they've actually achieved more in a two day period than you know Florentino Perez with seven billion quid hanging you know hanging above him. So you know we've got a, a a super league here that has you know its logo designed in Microsoft Word, its website designed by me, you know on uh, Wix or whatever you know random website builder. I don't think we've got a sponsorship, so no free shout outs. Um, but your your website builder of choice. 
looks like I've built it and I am not technical in, in that capacity. Um, and yet these, these supporters groups and, you know, guys like Chirge and, and Tim Rolls, who I've, I've been friendly with for a number of years, you know, have, have really stepped forward and I think just, just sort of led from the front. And I think people have, have got behind them. They've noticed that they, you know, there's no real, what's the word I'm looking for here? They, they don't have any any agenda. It's purely about the game. It's purely about Chelsea. It's purely about protecting the the, the sort of Corinthian spirit that the game is built upon. Um, so yeah, Chelsea Supporters Trust, I think again, you know, for £5 or whatever it will be in your local currency, the ability to have that interaction with them and, and to see the good that they can do, I think it's more than a more than a sort of a worthwhile investment. Um, and I think, again, just, just to extend it beyond that, just the work of all the other supporters groups as well has been absolutely extraordinary. And again, I'll, I'll keep saying it probably, or maybe I'll, I'll be repetitive in this episode, but it does show you the power of, of what people can do when you actually sort of link together and put aside petty rivalries and actually attack the, the main problem here. And I said, you know, in sort of my opening statement of the show that I'd love to see this sort of energy and this kind of, of, of approach directed towards other areas of the game. Because I do feel, you know, if you look at, you could look at um, uh, racism, you could look at inequality in the game, you could look at whatever, whatever topics you want to look at. If you take this sort of energy and this kind of force and you apply the pressure to those areas, things can change. And I think hopefully that is the message of positivity to take from this. Because I, yeah. I completely agree with Nick, there is, a, there is going to be an awful lot of things that need to be unpacked here before you can start putting together a plan of positivity and a plan of progression. But on a, you know, sort of trying to be positive about sort of one of the takeaways, I do feel that this gives fans, it's kind of given them a sort of hand or foot in the door again in terms of the game and the control of, and the direction of it. So super proud to be associated here with the trust. Um, and yeah, in, in general, as I say, I think fans can now hopefully see that when they're not squabbling on Twitter and they're not, you know, having these sort of weird interactions with each other, when they actually combine and can and really sort of put their heads together, they can actually impact the game in a positive way. And I, again, I want to see this now taken from stopping what was an incredibly ludicrous and incredibly greedy and, and quite grubby idea and putting that into towards, I think, a lot more positive areas because I think that change will will be the, the thing that will positively affect the game for 10, 15, 20, 30 years. Um, yeah, so super, super proud about what's going on. Yeah, I, I think... I think that is the point. I mean, like, like you said, like credit to all these supporters groups of the big six and, and others, right. Who, who put a ton yeah. of pressure uh, on, you know, on the club. And, and I'm not one to give Leeds or Liverpool credit in anything uh, in the world, nor Arsenal uh, in anything, but the immediate and aligned vision of the supporters groups across any team, it was about it was about the game and not their specific team, right? Their your your team, if you were the big six, would have and I use big six hypothetically because somehow Tottenham and Arsenal were in there. I don't know. Um, your your team would have benefited dramatically in revenue from this, right? To take a stand against this is to say that's not fair. That's not what fair is. You know, we want Leicester City every handful of years to win the title. We want teams in division four to go up to division three, maybe two, maybe get to the Premier league someday. And we're not going to be able to do that. If the revenue is centered around these six clubs who claim they're more important than everybody else. And look, we're all fans of one of those clubs. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, it sucks to have to talk about it like this. We're, we're, you know, I again, thousands of dollars, thousands of hours into this club. And, you know, the more you unpacked about the Super League, the worse it showed, Dan. I, it's, it, it just, it sucks. I'm sorry. 
I mean, so we were preparing to do a different episode tonight, right? Far different, yes. The plan for the episode tonight, you know, we had asked for contributions on just the the feeling and the emotion and the amount of, of raw emotion and energy, the amount of open wounds that lifetime supporters or supporters from a shorter amount of time who have found, you know, quickly fallen in love with what it means to be a Chelsea supporter or what it means to support a team from the Premier League were hurt. There was a trust that was broken with them that, you know, Chelsea and others were were protectors of this beautiful game and uh, that, that, that illusion was dispelled and the stark reality that everyone had to be confronted with in that moment resulted in this massive crisis internal or external in the way that someone was choosing. You know, we've had a chance to thank the supporters trust, the supporters outside of Stamford bridge, the people who made their voices heard, Online, the individuals who are Chelsea pitch owners who yes. help maintain the relationship that yes. Chelsea FC is if you play at Stamford Bridge, that Stamford Bridge is the only place that Chelsea FC can actually play football. Otherwise, we've been supporting potentially the London Monarchs or something else when they move to a different area. Um, again, all of this. This fractured element will require some time to build back, but hopefully a unified supporter group to what Joe was talking about, um, not just with Chelsea. Like the, 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 the tribalness of the English game means that there usually tends to be some level of animosity or disregard or kind of secretarian <laughs> belief structure that a Chelsea supporter, maybe ideology, uh, their ideology is better than that of an Arsenal supporter. And, and a lot of things that's probably true, but hopefully for things like continuing to strive for uh, racial equality, for things for uh, to attack um, you know, homophobia and other things that kind of exist within the game, that we can leverage these supporters groups as a unified voice now, fans as a unified voice, to continue to get these teams to engage in good works. And Chelsea, to their credit, has been a team for a very long time that has invested in good works against anti-Semitism, uh, against racial intolerance. And it would be great to see us as supporters continue to use this moment as a watershed, not just for making the game better, but making everything that the game touches better too. And, and Nick, I know you've got an email that I think you want to read as well. Yeah, it, it's per- perfect segue because this is sent from a friend of the show, Claire McConnell. Uh, I will not read it in full because it's it's, it's about 90 pages long and Claire, Claire wrote a, a doozy here. But I think the first uh, first paragraph really is, is it hits home. Um, just sent this to uh, to Mr. Buck and other members of the CFC board. Never has my heart been so heavy as when I woke up today and learned that CFC was planning to join the European Super League. This is a disaster, totally and utterly, and a fist in the face for all true Chelsea fans. Mr. Abramovich has always supported the community during the pandemic with his anti-Semitism stand and in so many different ways. So I cannot understand why he is now turning his back on the community, the fans, the proud history of football in England. She says at the end here, if Chelsea goes ahead with the membership in the ESL, we will all stop supporting her and her family. We'll all stop supporting Chelsea. That will break my heart. But principles are more important than the pursuit of money 
and I'll be a proud quote unquote legacy fan and mourn the loss uh, in, in my life of Chelsea. And so be it. That's what people were prepared to do before today. Like that's, you know, it, money where your mouth is. I think a lot of people were thinking about that. And a lot of people were thinking about all of the good that's been done before today. And, and we talked at length about this with Matt Law a couple of weeks ago. All the good that Roman Abramovich has done for the club and for the community over the last handful of weeks. You know, this unfortunately erases a lot of that. And it doesn't erase it wholly. I mean, there are a lot of people who have been impacted by those good deeds and good acts. But I think that is at the core. If you take it away from the fans, that is that is what people are prepared to do. And... I, I look at this, Dan, and hopefully in a positive way moving forward, right? Because I think that is that is now the scenario that we're in. And as Joe said, as as you've said, use this moment and and hit gas, right? Don't hit brake. It's not over. <laughs> Don't hit the brakes and go, oh, yeah, you know, we won. Cool. That's not how wars are won. You got to hit the gas now. And you really got to press. And you really got to make sure that you were a, a check on the... Uh, on the Chelsea board and and other supporters clubs that check on their board and say, we have a voice here, man. And we are your, during the season, we are your main revenue source in the stadium. You got to hear us out and you got to do the right thing. Yeah. I think the way that I would round it is that at the end of the day, goodwill and relationship is, is something that can be restored, but it takes time. And the actions that Chelsea takes as a, as a board and as an organization and as the club we love and support from now to the end of the season to the end of the year and moving forward will speak louder than any words that come out of their statement. And the action of turning around, the action of being the first team to say, you know what, we're, we're going to pull out does make a difference. You know, you, you could have been the Tottenham or the Manchester United who took a little bit longer to come back to the end of this and say, you know what, we're actually going to jump out. And follow somebody else's lead. And you know what? It, it sucks that Chelsea were potentially one of two clubs that kind of felt backed in and didn't want to get left behind at the station on the train that eventually went nowhere. It never got out of the station. It stayed there and we left the, we left the carriage before it ever went anywhere. Um, but Joe, I, I think in general, it, it's good that Chelsea have acted accordingly. It's good that this madness has been put to bed. And there is a way for the club to use this as, as a platform to continue to do more good work. Yeah. Um, I think from my perspective, one of the the concerning things that I had certainly about the developing situation was that I think largely over the past 18 months, Chelsea have done more in that period of time to restore their image, both in terms of externally, but also I think to Chelsea fans as well. They've done such an incredible or played such an incredible role in the local community and beyond in terms of their work around the pandemic, you know, not furloughing staff, paying a living wage, you know, offering the the hotel facilities to NHS staff. I mean, it, it goes way beyond what kind of other clubs have have done and what they've sort of offered in the, in this capacity. And I kind of felt with with sort of the developments on Sunday that they'd spent so much time acquiring this goodwill. And the thing with football, it takes one moment to to just completely disband all of that accrued sort of, you know, positivity that, that you sort of worked incredibly hard to 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 build. Um, so I'm not sure if they've if they've completely thrown all of that to the side. I think if this had maybe had gone on for a period of time, 
than a lot of the, the work maybe that they've done, um, not just sort of pandemic-wise, but I think the, the anti-racism work the club does, anti-Semitism work, playing a leading role, I think, in, in sort of, you know, bringing women's football really to the forefront. So much stuff that the club has done is, is painted in such a positive light and should be, um, that you wouldn't want them to be then sort of taken completely, you know, at the legs by something which, as you say, they've kind of, it feels like in terms of the, the press releases and things that are leaking, they've sort of jumped on at the very last minute in an, an effort to maybe not be left behind. Um, I do think what you've said in terms of, of being a kind of the most vocal from, from a fan perspective, or at least being seen to be the most vocal from a fan perspective, that, that will play a part hopefully in, in the PR job here. But from, from a club perspective, I think the, the kind of the, you know, the, the being the first, first out, I suppose you could say is, or being the first domino to fall maybe does give them a little bit more gravitas or a little bit more kudos than, than other clubs. Um, you know, slightly more humorous note. I'm still convinced that Tottenham will, will stay in there till the death just so that they can claim the title inaugural Super League winners, you know, musical chairs style. Um, <laughs> but I'm, I'm glad, you know, that Chelsea have taken this step and it, and it feels like a positive step. The thing that they will have to contend with now, and, and this was a little bit with going back to the issue with the CPO back uh, about 10 years ago now when Chelsea tried to buy the freehold of the club from the, uh, from the, from the pitch owners. Um Building that trust back up with the fans is going to be, I think, a little bit of a difficult exercise. I think what you were saying earlier, certainly with a lot of the legendary fans now that we've we've, we've kind of reclaimed the legendary. Word of Let's go. You know, a lot of these guys were, I think, on the precipice of just saying, you know, I'll just go and follow whoever my local club is. I've kind of had enough of this whole thing. And when you start getting people who have supported the club for 30, 40, 50 years to the point where they have no association with the club, then I think that's when you've got to be concerned. Um so I'm hoping now that, you know, whatever the plan is going forward from the club, um, and I've, I've seen calls or at least just sort of floating on social media now from this meeting between the 14 other Premier League clubs that they want to see some, some repercussions when it comes to board members leaving and things like that. I don't know how far Chelsea will go. I know that obviously they're a very close-knit group and they have been for a very long period of time. Um, whether somebody falls on the sword and whatever, whatever will happen in that capacity. Um, but I think there needs to be, there needs to be some sort of... of um, plan or some sort of, of way of reintegrating themselves with with the fans because you know it's it's easy to to see the distance between the club and, and its supporters um, be felt when there are no when there are no fans in the stadium. Um, I think even so, even even fans who maybe aren't frequently able to get to games, I think there's been an increasing gap. You know, even sort of uh, in that respect as well, from fans not being in the stadium and fans maybe feeling more distant from the club. So. I think there needs to be some sort of way of building bridges back up with fans, not just get people who, who attend games home and away, um, but the fan base as, as a whole. Because it, it was very apparent to me that this just this wasn't just a geographical thing. This was, you know, outrage and disappointment from every single quarter, um, from every single fan that I personally followed, guys from Australia, guys from America, guys from literally all over the globe. It was the same feeling, you know, and if that doesn't give you the the uh, I suppose the inkling or, or give you the idea of, of how much Chelsea's global fan base kind of is quite connected in its thinking then, then nothing will um, and yeah. Uh, yeah so I want to see some sort of, of, of plan of, of reintegration I think that is, is going to be key in, in how that works what I don't want to happen is you know sort of the the ostrich approach of burying the head in the sand of just you know waiting for a passage of time to, to go by um, and waiting for things to pass I do just just want to conclude this sort of little little thought passage here with saying that the the, the thing that I think Nick was mentioning earlier about them them doing this when there are no fans present, that to me is is one of the kind of unforgivable acts because that is 
that, that's when it gets a little bit grubby and it gets a little bit messy when you're trying to force through a transformative um, sort of new kind of league and, and, and really sort of transforming the nature of the club when fans can't give you vocal feedback. You know, I remember when, when they hired Benitez, his first home game, you know, it was, I've, I've again, not, not heard anything like it in terms of a rejection of a manager. Um, and, and I think it's important that fans are able to give the club feedback. I think that, that, that feedback loop that's broken this season is probably partly why they, they have maybe underestimated the strength of feeling towards something like this. So the sooner that that link is, is reformed, maybe the sooner we have fans back in stadiums, I think hopefully that, that sort of pathway to there being some sort of, 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 of healing process will happen. But until I think fans are back in stadiums, I think the club will have to maybe go on a limb here to, to sort of really help heal the uh, situation. And I, I think the another thing, kind of maybe Joe, that that maybe we we want to talk about just as uh, being the uh, the Americans on here, Nick, is you know I think there Ooh. there has been just with the involvement <laughs> uh, again uh, as as we ruin a lot of things, right? We've got great exports like the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and then we have Budweiser, you know. So we we, <laughs> we export some pretty terrible things uh, to the rest All of the things globe. Must be balanced, and, though, Nick. <laughs> uh, yeah. On an on an iPhone, yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but but Nick, I, I think you know there were American owners or American ownership group that were you know in the forefront of pushing this. Uh, and also, there was Real Madrid and Perez, who seems to be the ringleader for a lot of this as well. So, um, but I, I think the anti-American sentiment, um, you know, w- w- was something that existed during this conversation over the last forty-eight to seventy-two hours too. Yeah, I mean it's 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 tough, right? Like, uh, like I'm I consider myself a citizen of the world. I'm a U.S. citizen, but I'm a citizen of the world. Um, I love traveling, and I love uh, any time we are able to go to the UK. You know, is is my favorite time in my life. It is genuinely. I think it is incredible. And there are people who who live in the UK who feel vice versa towards the U.S. Right? It's just a perspective that you might hold. It, the easy thing to do throughout this entire process would be to look at Woodward and look at FSG and look at Cronky and go, the fucking Americans are fucking everything up again and they want to make it a franchise and they want to do this and that. And those idiots do. <laughs> okay. Like, let me just say that out loud. Those guys 1000% do. Okay. And they're terrible owners in the States. They're not well respected in the States. They're not well respected in the UK. Get them out. I would love for that to happen. I think what I would ask for, and I and I don't believe anyone who listens to this show would feel this way, but what I'd ask for anybody else who, who may pick up this soundbite, separate us, you know, the people who pay thousands of dollars, who spend thousands of hours supporting the club, who try and do it in the right way, who respect the immense tradition uh, of, of English football and, and all of the wonderful things that are not a part of our American sports culture that we, that we love about English football. We respect and admire it. Like that's why we're fans of the sport. You know, when we go over and travel, we don't bring the playoff system on our plane with us, you know, like that's not what we do. So I, you know, I think there's just, I would love for there to be this, this separation of American fans who love Chelsea football club and 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 Stan Kroenke and FSG and the Glazers from United. I, I I think that's really important because, again, for me personally, and this is just me on a soapbox here, I've never wanted to change a thing about Chelsea Football Club. I've just wanted to be a part of it. And that's it. 
Yeah, it's an interesting facet of this conversation that has evolved. And I think that there absolutely is blame that should be thrown at the ownership groups that tried to force this through. And uh, it's not all uh, American driven, but you know what? It, it definitely sucks that uh, they were some of the leading thought that the quote unquote thought leaders of this failed experiment to try and revolutionize the idea of football and transform the game into a really weird Frankenstein style monster of what football should be in terms of an American slash international hybrid. And well, imagine being a United fan right now. <laughs> imagine, well, I mean, in general, imagine, terrible, but wow, yeah, even worse. Imagine having the Glazers. A, a group notoriously hated across U.S. and U.K. sports, and then have Ed Woodward as your representative <laughs> on top of that for getting you into like it's a disaster. I mean, they're in a disaster state, right? Stan Kroenke with Arsenal. Imagine these people who have had a deal with Stan Kroenke as Arsenal owner. Believe me, I shed no tears for Arsenal's failures, but like, imagine being a fan of that club and having Stan Kroenke as your owner. Uh, like I feel empathy for the fans of these clubs. And there are a lot of American fans of these clubs out there mm-hmm. who hate, you know, hates a hard word, but like who hate these people. And I, I think there just needs to be a separation and understanding that America equals not bad is, is a terrible overlay for this entire discussion. <laughs> Well, it's the it's the same idea that if you would paint every English matchroom fan as a as a your dad, right? Like <laughs> it's not what we want to do sure. either. Um, but you know, I mean, again, it's just the nature of the fact that uh, when a majority of the individuals involved are, you know, it's easy to paint with a broad stroke. And uh, hopefully, um, you know, podcasts like what we do here, and you know, f- you know, people who are part of Chelsea in America, who you know, go over uh, our ambassadors for what it means to to learn and educate themselves about the game and become a part of the tradition and don't uh, rot it from from the inside that that's not the the intent um but w- one thing we joe, did kind of joe do you on, want to take uh, take a minute and trash america while you're at it <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I was gonna add that uh, as brandon isn't here to defend himself in this episode <laughs> i mean brandon's the only one who ever talks about playoffs he's like why isn't there a drafting system he loves he loves the playoffs he's like, why don't it. we just make like a team from London and just a team from Manchester and just have them play each other 10 times a year. Um, I mean, those are private conversations. I shouldn't maybe be airing them publicly, but I mean, it's a slightly more serious note. I mean, I think, you know, you guys are a very good example. And I, I, I think I speak to a lot of, of overseas fans and this, you know, this geographical element of support, I think has become less and less relevant over the, the period of the Premier League. You know, there are unbelievably passionate fans all around the globe who feel the club incredibly deeply and want to learn, want to understand about its culture, its identity, and love love that feeling and connection. Yes, there are fans. There are fans in the in the UK who don't have that same connection to the club, you know, that you guys have. You know, in terms of passion and in terms of, of really identifying it, sort of feeling the, the the culture and the connectivity. So, you know, I think as for when it comes to the the sort of the I could see the, sort of this American anti-American angle. You know, it, it was I think disappointing. I think it was. It was lazy, um, certainly from from most parts, so, and maybe a little bit promulgated by, I think, people taking some of Gary Neville's comments a little bit too literally when it came to you know, pointing out the nationalities of, of various owners on his rant. Um, but when it comes to to football and football fans that I interact with, football fans who, 
you know, from, from all over the States, all the various supporters clubs and, and people that, that listen to this podcast in particular, the only unifying thing that I, I find among them isn't that they want to see the playoffs, but they want, you know, Chelsea to have the number Except one draft pick. Yeah, apart from Brandon, to be very clear, <laughs> apart from Brandon, he's the exception here, um, is is their, their love and their passion for the club, you know, and you could see it, certainly as I said, over the, over the weekend, it wasn't just Chelsea fans who attend matches, Chelsea fans who are from the UK, that feeling of, of you know, embarrassment, of anger, of, of displeasure, of being vocal and being anti this particular, um, you know, kind of move from the club was, was universal. And if that doesn't tell you that there is a, you know, universal thread that connects all, all football fans who are passionate about a single club, then I, I don't know what does. But well, uh, yeah, very strange period for you guys, I can imagine. <laughs> but, you know, yeah. it's, I just want to be very clear. It's not your fault. You're okay. Well, the the irony, the great irony, Dan, that that Brandon has watched less NFL than the three of us combined <laughs> times a million. So, including uh, Joe, yeah, yeah. Actually, yeah Joe. I think I actually know more about the Vikings than Brandon, and he's from the state. But yeah, <laughs> from the actual city. Um, yeah. yeah. So yeah. <laughs> let's 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 talk about this because I, I think another thing too is that we're going to have to come to the reality is that Chelsea, yep. in addition to these five other English clubs, are probably going to have to suffer some type of penalty. Yep. You know, whether it be from the FA and the Premier League, whether it be from UEFA or FIFA, like there, there is not going to be this natural like, hey, are we cool? We're cool, right? Like it's only we spilled a drink on someone at the club and then we like apologize and like bought them a new drink and everything was OK. Like <laughs> we, we're, we're kind of in, in some shit right now. And so you've taken I guess, their girlfriend, you've taken all their money, you've taken all their friends. I mean, yeah, there's a little bit more apologizing to this. Yeah, this was full-scale identity fraud uh, and a life hijacking uh, that we tried to do. Um, so maybe, Joe, do you have a thought on what you think the the type of, of penalty might might be? Like, what, what do you think, like, in, if you've envisioned it at all, and, and maybe you haven't, like, what do you think happens? Oof. I think in, in my sort of dystopian mind, you know, Tom Henning Overbo manages or referees, I should say, every Chelsea game for the next two year period. <laughs> I think that, that probably would be the most punitive. Um, I think it's maybe a slightly more realistic one. They may, they may make the clubs qualify for the Champions League. That could be something that you could see. So starting from the very first qualification round in like July, you know, play a number of games to get into the tournament. Um, part of me thinks that I can't see the Premier League being too punitive in terms of, of you know, points deductions and, Things of this nature, maybe there is a withholding of some television money, or maybe maybe there is there's a financial penalty here. I don't think in terms of Chelsea that is going to hurt us too much. Um, I know that we we like the Champions League revenue, obviously, and then the revenue from the TV money, etc. Um, but we can always sell players. We have a billion players on loan that we can sell. I don't know how necessarily that they would that they would punish us particularly. I think points points deductions may be something that, that are floated around. They feel a little bit extreme. Qualifying, qualifying for the Champions League, maybe, maybe a, a, I don't know, relegation to the Europa League, but then that kind of, you know, doesn't set the, the best message for for the Europa League and its, its sort of, you know, appearance to to the masses from a PR perspective. I'm unsure at the moment. Um, I do feel that the kind of Premier League have realised how important these sort of six clubs are to them now, and I do think that there will be maybe some compromise in place when it comes to whatever sort of uh, changes that, that these clubs are looking for. Um, UEFA may be a slightly different kettle of fish. Um, you know, I, it's interesting because I'm, I'm now slightly more confident when we play Real Madrid. 
I'm expecting at least 10 VAR decisions go away and maybe four really, really unjust penalties. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. But I, I, to be honest with you, I, I think we won't know really the direction this, this is going to head for another week or maybe two weeks. Um, it's still very raw. It's still very kind of up in the air. Um, and I do feel that there is going to be some sort of compromise made. And, and maybe in terms of the negotiations that now will likely, I would imagine, happen, we'll get a slightly better picture of, of what the, the fallout is going to be. But I do agree that, that punishment should happen. But when it comes to the actual punishment itself, I'm not entirely sure the direction that this would go. Um, you know, for, for a sort of comparison, when a, a really prominent sort of uh, rugby team in, in the UK, and I appreciate it's not one of the, you know, a sport that has millions upon millions of pounds invested in it, but this is a, a team, they're called Saracens, and they were like a European Cup winner pretty much every other year. Um, they were found guilty of, of basically... Um, living outside of the salary cap and, and sort of circumventing it in a way. They, they basically got relegated to, to the championship equivalent. That, that was the punishment, which is pretty, pretty severe. So I'm not sure if it's going to be, you know, put everyone in the championship for a season and see what happens. But it, it's, you know, there, there's, there's so many permutations, point deductions, financial, you know, uh, out, out of European competition for a year, a European ban or whatever it might be. But yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting to see. But I have absolutely no idea where this is going to head, to be honest. Yeah, I, I think the best, the the most common sense and best thing, you know, like if the if UEFA and FIFA and, and the Premier League, which by the way are not the good guys in this story, um, let's yeah. let's let's be very very clear about that. Um, the best case scenario, I think, the most productive thing would be <clears throat> that the clubs and specifically the owners of these clubs or the representatives whoever push these agendas forward are fined whatever amount and that amount has to be applied towards the football league pyramid in England to support and to grow the game and to yeah. put, put programming in place like let's 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 not look at this and say eye for an eye because that's that's not the right thing to do I think the best, the best and most productive thing to do would be like, all right, cool. Really no harm, no foul at the end of the day. These clubs are going to have a, a, a asterisk on their name for quite some time, and they, they rightfully should, and our club is one of those clubs. But the best thing that you can do, as we were talking about earlier, is apply this and move the conversation about the football pyramid and supporters forward in a way that makes sense. And if you if you were really serious about building those bridges, that's what you'd do if you were FIFA, UEFA, and the Premier League. Well, not even just that. Like, I mean, I think about the investment, you know, I, the women's game was a complete second thought in this whole conversation, right? There was no plan for what the women's European Super League was going to be. And the Chelsea women's team are on the hunt to get their first Champions League title this season and are probably going to do that. They're probably going to win the league. They're, they're, they're very likely going to do the quad that Pep Not couldn't do this season. So just in that regard, like, is it potentially saying, hey, not just an investment in grassroots football, but you have to further invest in, in growing the women's game. You have to further invest in development of football and what it means for players to make a living wage and be able to do this as, as a career for other teams to to grow and compete effectively. And I, I think yeah. that's where the requirement has to be 
about investment in those beneath who have not seen this trickle-down style of broadcast revenue reach them appropriately to grow this game, to continue to make it more and more competitive. Because that's what we love. We love the competition. We love the fact that on any given day, a West Brom can roll up to Chelsea and be like, hell no. Like, you, you are going to, like, you're just going to get dusted by us. And that is, that is the fun of the Premier League. And yeah. I don't know, make it, make it about making the game better through enhanced competition. Chelsea, uh, my club first, Liverpool, Arsenal, Tottenham, Manchester United, Manchester, Manchester City, from this point until whatever they decide, are paying the asshole tax. That's what happens now. You're assholes, you fucked up, and that's a, you know, it's a fact of life, everyone fucks up. You fucked up. You're paying the asshole tax. And the asshole tax means that we're going to be able to apply funds to all of these different areas that could really utilize the funding in a really positive way. And like that's again, if you're looking at this, the players at Chelsea did not make this decision to punish the players at Chelsea would be ludicrous. And they might still do it. They might. They really might. It, it might happen. It wouldn't be fair to them. It wouldn't be fair to the players at Liverpool. It wouldn't be fair to the players at Arsenal, Spurs, or City or United. So I I would hope that, again, use a scalpel and not a machete if you're these league organizers. And also realize that like anything that you say is taken with a grain of salt, too, because you're all assholes. So just that's my final word on that. All right. Well, Chelsea also played a game today, and we're not going to go through the highs and lows of it. Um, Did they? I think there was there was a lot of adrenaline uh, leading up into the match after hearing that we were going to get pulled out of the Europe, uh, European Super League. I I will honestly say that a lot of that match will never appropriately process in my brain because it'd be clouded under a fog of what happened prior to it and all of the ramifications and. The house of cards just completely falling apart on this absolutely atrocious idea. Um, anything you want to talk about from the match, Joe? Do you have any recollection of it either? Or like, what's the deal? <laughs> the only way that I can explain this was at university so many years ago now. I had a friend who was an aerospace engineering student. So fairly bright and fairly complicated subject matter. So, you know, how do we build rockets kind of stuff. Um I remember just going along sitting in one of his lectures because we were going to to play rugby afterwards. And I, I kind of draw equivalences between that experience and watching the game today where I'm watching I'm watching something for an hour and a half or whatever it might have been, but absolutely none of it has, uh, has stuck with me or resonated. I actually found myself, I don't, I don't know, sometimes when you're kind of driving long distance where you suddenly then realize that you're actually driving and you've kind of forgotten mm. maybe an hour of the drive. That was sort of the, the way that I kind of viewed the game today after what had happened. Um, the only thing that I, I kind of noticed really was I, I think with with Mount playing a little bit deeper in midfield, we lost quite a lot of intensity that we have in the final third normally. I'm not sure if um, the, the sort of Marcus Alonso substitution or, or, or sorry, the uh, replacement of, of Benji will really work. I don't think, you know, for a team that we don't have that many numbers who attack, um, you know, the fact that Alonso was a complete, I think, bystander for the majority of the game was was tricky. And again, you know, when you're seeing Rhys James move over to the left-hand side, like Callum Hudson-Odoi play kind of everywhere on the pitch and you know, Pulisic moving back to, to wing-back, a little bit of me is wondering why we still haven't got our top goal scorer on the substitutes bench to, to bring him on in moments like this. You know, regardless of, of whether he doesn't fit the style and all these sort of comments you want to make, um, 
you know, you're chasing a game, you need a goal, your top goal scorer is sitting at home watching on television. And for, for all of Tuchel's, I think, fantastic press conferences, and I think he's a fantastic coach, I think the reasoning behind Tammy not playing to me is becoming less and less, um, I think, I don't want to say truthful, in that he's just telling blatant lies, but it just, it, it, it just doesn't seem to, to have any kind of bearing in reality. And that's probably the best way to put it. You cannot have a game where you've got two left-backs on, on a bench ahead of him. You can't bring on, on substitutes. When you're chasing a goal, you need to have a striker. And he's, on, in terms of goals scored over the past two seasons, he's the best striker that we have. Regardless of how you feel about him, he puts the ball in the net more than other people. Um, and I felt that we could have used him today to, to sort of change the profile of the game. As I say, you know, I don't think this is going to be a game that actually, even in two weeks' time, I have any real recollection of in terms of what's happened here. But, you know, my initial thoughts were that, it, you know, we lacked tempo, we lacked pace. We, we looked a little bit sort of open in terms of midfield, didn't really attack with any intensity, didn't really attack with numbers. And, you know, by the time we needed to score a goal, when we were sort of throwing everyone at it, the one player that we that we could have had to, to affect the game was was sitting on Instagram, recording Instagram, you know, story saying, come on, boys. It's, it's becoming less and less, I think... Um, you know, I, I just I just don't understand it. I don't want to be sitting here questioning yeah. a manager of Tigo's calibre, but it doesn't make any sense to me. Come out and say you don't like him, and yeah. that's one step. And then and then even then, put him on the bench because you need goals. Like I, I don't like here. Here's the problem: you've scored less than, or I guess now one point one 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 repeating goals per game underneath your tenure. If we were banging him in free flowing football great defense, it would be a whole different story if Tammy was missing from that Chelsea football club. But we're not. We're not doing that. We've done that one time in now 18 matches. We've scored four goals in one game. So forgive me. I'm I'm tired of this. I'm tired of watching Timo run aimlessly. I'm tired of watching Kai Havertz have an off game and then an on game, then an off game, and then an on game. What, there, you have other options on the bench. The fact that Giroud comes on in the 77th minute is crazy, man. It's just crazy, and it doesn't make sense. This game puts you four points above Liverpool if you win it. It puts you three points above uh, West Ham if you win it. Like, it, it is – or two points, I, I apologize. Two points above West Ham if you win it. You got to have goals, man. I it's it sometimes football is not complicated. That is the understatement of the season from Nick Verlaney. Uh, we just marked that down on uh, 420, um, you know, in uh, 2021. And Nick uh, unlocked the uh, the answer box for what we need to do to get points. Uh, look, I, I, I will say, I think given the circumstances, like, we asked the players and the manager to work through a lot of really unfortunate situations from time to time to produce a result. I don't think this was the ideal scenario to prep for a match. Um, like, I, I, I think, yes, I would have loved to win. It would have been a great three points. It, it should have been some of the three points we should have been able to pencil in as we look at what is remaining for the end of the season here. But I, I still think, you know, you, you beat West Ham, you beat Leicester. You absolutely are totally within the control of your entire destiny here still. Um, but you are, you are reducing the margin for error to the thinnest 
possible way. Like we, we were talking, we went from having maybe a books level to having like a chapters level. And every point you drop, you're just reducing the amount of pages and to the point where it's going to be like a single piece of pa- paper, <laughs> like the, you know, of, of margin to kind of consider Joe. And so, yeah, I think that's where maybe the concern is like that there's not many more chances left to, to get the points we need to get this across the line. Cause it matters again. <laughs> Oh yeah, I know. It's uh I think in the in the context of I think you're right in saying the context of what's been happening. Um I maybe I wasn't super surprised at the lack of energy, but I think Nick's point really for me is the it's the main one in that you know we have struggled for goals under Tuchel. In in most cases, you know, we've we've had a, a few sort of dips here and or a few positive blips here and there. But the the lack of of, of Tammy, even as a substitute in these games is becoming, you know, just more and more, you know, inexplainable in terms of why this is is become the sort of de facto way that we are setting up. You know, I've I've been critical, I think, of, of the style of play in terms of the fact that I think we were so focused on on sort of keeping a, a very tight defensive seven at times behind the ball. Um, you know, we we're really relying on one complete moment of magic or one perfect piece of play to score a goal. We don't really tend to create that many good quality chances. And I think today, you know, if, if this was a game, you know, maybe that wasn't happening in this period of, of football history, it would follow a pattern, a similar pattern to what we've seen against Manchester United, against Southampton, against other teams where we've struggled to break down really well-organised defensive sides because maybe we don't have the right blend of creative players. I think we don't have the right balance of attack and versus defensive sort of risk-reward. Um, but it, it's... You know, in terms of the grand scheme of things now, I think these two two games that we have coming up against Leicester and, and West Ham are absolutely must-wins for Chelsea. Um, and I think, is it West Ham this weekend we have? Am yeah. I, am I, yep. yeah, Saturday. So, like, th- yeah, th- this now becomes, for me, like the biggest game of the season, yep. which I never thought I would say against the West Ham team. But that, that game, for me, that is your breathing space game. And coming into that game off the back of such a damp squib in terms of a performance... And all the stuff that's happened around the club, I don't know where the emotional energy of the players is going to be. I don't know where, where what where Tuchel's mind is going to be in terms of in terms of team selection. Um, and I, I'm not. I don't get me wrong. I'm not certainly worried about about the game already, but it's it's difficult to know. And I think you know Nick's point about kind of Havertz is sort of up and down form. You could kind of say that a little bit in terms of our performances. You know, some weeks we look like a team that could go on and compete next season. And then games like today, it's like, this is the same Chelsea we've seen largely for the past three seasons. Yeah. Um, you know, and we need to, obviously we need to turn up on, on Saturday. So I think Saturday is an important, important game. I think we are back in fourth now on goal difference. I think that's, that's true. We are. Back in that, that is, yeah. that is accurate. Yes. Yeah. L- Liverpool's uh, climbing though. That's the real scare. Yeah. And, and, and that'll be the, that'll be the problem is that Liverpool have, have discovered form. They don't have any more fixtures. You know, they don't, I don't think they have, uh, well, they're obviously not in the FA Cup, I don't think. Um, then it, it's a question of, uh, you know, no European football. They have will have one game now until the, the rest of the season, so they can play their best team every single game. Um, they are on a roll. They have hit some form. They have rediscovered a bit of that clock magic from last season. It's taken a bit of time um, post Van Dyke, but um, I still think, I've said this a, a few times now, that we have to finish above Leicester. They have to be the, the benchmark here. I think if we finish above Leicester, we'll, we'll finish in the top four. Um, if we finish below Leicester, I think we're, we're, we're sort of chopping up a little bit with Liverpool. Um, 
they they're on a roll, and I think their fixtures are a bit kinder than ours as well. They, they are. Um, they they are, they are yeah. much kinder. You know, I I think they're you know Manchester City could do us some favors still. Manchester United could do us some favors, but it's kind of like the end of last season again, where it's yes, we are kind of in control of our own destiny, but that requires us winning out essentially. <laughs> Um, if we don't win out, we need some help from the teams around us. And that is not the most comfortable strategy, but it probably is going to be uh, what we as supporters are going to have to, to lean upon in, in this regard. Uh, but I will say, I did I did run a day on the match poll. And you I did. will say, I think this is the first time, and I said this in a tweet, I've ever gotten 100% approval in the choices I put in the poll because it was just four options of the fans because regardless of anything today the fans won fans are football 100% of the vote slam dunk I nailed it tell me I'm wrong you are correct you are definitely correct huh? there we go that's, that's perfect it's <laughs> a great, great way to kind of round out this conversation uh, look, Brandon was the sole person on this podcast who really wanted a European Super League. He wanted playoffs. Um, sorry we couldn't have he's him on this episode. <laughs> it's why he's not on the pod. It's why he's yeah, not on the pod. Uh, tr- sorry to reveal the, the behind-the-scenes <laughs> secrets here. Um, any any final thoughts? We'll go with you, Joe. We'll get to Nick, and then I'll, we'll, we'll round it out here. Oh, boy. Um, it, it's never straightforward being a Chelsea fan. It really isn't. You know, <laughs> I mean, you, you, look at, you look at this season – you know, we lose, uh, you know, I think I'm not having the debate on whether it was a right to sack Lampard, but of who, who he is and who he means to Chelsea fans. The fact that Lampard was sacked was never going to make this an easy season. Um, obviously, Tuchel comes in, kind of smooths things over, keeps it nice and calm. And you think, yeah, we're ticking along quite nicely here. Could be doing a little bit better on occasion. But I mean, he's, you know, he's kind of really sort of calmed things down. Booms, European Super League hits. And then it's sort of, you know, it's this sort of crazy period again. Um I don't know, to be honest with you. I'm still, I think, processing it a little bit beyond the sort of obvious kind of stuff that we've spoken about. I think Nick's kind of points about the the next steps and, and how, how this is sort of handled, both from a Premier League perspective, a UEFA perspective, but also how the club are, are going to ha- handle this sort of relationship with the fans going forward. That sort of stuff is it's probably a little bit in the back of my mind at the moment and probably something that I'm trying to to figure out what is the, the future there. Um I think probably just to, to end on a positive note, I'm incredibly, incredibly proud of the action of of every Chelsea fan. Obviously, the guys at the stadium today, I think they were they were superb, um, you know, mobilising and, and kind of really, I think, making the uh, the right spectacle in the right way, in the right tone, and, and really being a, a really representative of all Chelsea fans. But then I want to also extend that to just what I've seen, as I said, kind of at the beginning of the episode. I've not seen social media used in such a collectively good way forever maybe in terms of actually getting a real kind of emotional um, aggressive consistent stance on people again I don't want to make fun of the Chelsea social admins here but I mean the the hammering that they have taken over the past two three days anything they've posted has just been absolutely destroyed in terms of the comments and it kind of been particularly pleasant but sometimes you know that that approach the approach that maybe we don't always like in terms of social media it's been harvested for good um, and, and kind of, I think that also the weight of, of that. Oh, and actually, as, as well. Joe, not to interrupt you, as we are recording uh, in this exact moment, the club statement has posted here. 
Uh, as reported earlier this evening, Chelsea Football Club can confirm it has begun the formal procedures for withdrawal from the group, developing plans for a European Super League. Having joined the group late last week, we have now had time to consider the matter fully and decided that our continued participation in these plans would not be in the best interest of the club, our supporters, or the wider football community. And that is the end of the statement. I mean, what, what a way to conclude the episode. Yeah. You know, I think that, that, that brings the, the closure quite nicely to... So the whole thing, and, and that those final words are the club supporters and the wider football community. I think that 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 should be the takeaway from this. That I think the club probably realised the error of its ways. They've seen the the vocal backlash. I think the supporters massive, massive, massive amount of of respect should go to every person who has contributed to to sort of adding weight to the conversation, whether it's online, whether it's in person, whatever that may be. Your voices have been heard, and then the wider football community. You know, I think we're often, as fans, we get so caught up in our own clubs that we don't always necessarily consider the impact on grassroots football on the, on the football pyramid, as, as Nick was saying earlier. You know, as a, as in, you know, somebody who is English, you look at the England football team, you look at the players that have come through the pyramid. You know, your Jack Grealish's, your James Madison's, um, Mount. Even you know, we poached Mount from Portsmouth. I mean, you could go through. I mean, really, if you wanted to go to the, the core of it, most of the England team have come through the, the football league in some respects, played there, been on loan there, whatever it might be. Um, and, and that wider football community, I think we were doing them a massive disservice by just completely ignoring them in this conversation. So, yeah, I think the, the final point is, is, as you say, what a, what a great statement, I think, to, from the club. Um, I want to see this developed on and I want to see what the, the future holds. But, yeah, from, from a supporter standpoint, I think we have finally, for, you know, for the first time in a very long time, shown our collective colours. And for once, it's incredibly, incredibly positive. I think we should all be very proud of that. Nicholas? Yeah, I, I think there are strength in numbers. Uh, I think the legacy transition to legendary is is in full effect. And the only thing I was thinking about when this news broke that we were kind of returning to some sense of normalcy, although I hope a different, a new normal, is that we're going to have another chance to go back and be a part of it again. And that makes me incredibly proud and incredibly happy because it's all I want to do right now. And I'm sure it's all, it's all that uh, our friends across the pond want to do. And so uh, look, it, it, it's an emotional day for a lot of us. You know, I think the prospect of all of the scenarios that were playing out in people's minds, were we going to be a part of the Premier League? Will we have the FA Cup? Are we going to be a part of, the, you know, all this stuff uh, really shook people because it is part of the fabric of what we have done. I mean, we've done 600 plus episodes of this stupid podcast <laughs> about <laughs> Chelsea Football Club and, you know, to see it restored and hopefully improved because of, of a, of a, tumultuous moment I think is is going to end up being good but at the end of the day uh, this is due to the folks who who support the club and I, I couldn't be more proud yeah this is a, a moment to celebrate that we football is, is saved for the moment but I think it's also a reminder of just just how fragile yep. this conversation is and it is a moment to figure out how we continue to build and, and mobilize as supporters to find commonality with those that maybe we enjoy mocking for celebrating a, a nil-nil draw on a live stream that we can find the common ground. Yes, Nick? 
the European Super League has just released a statement. Shall oh, I read wonderful. It? <laughs> yes, please. Uh, this is a great way to end the episode because fuck these guys. Um, <laughs> the European Super League <laughs> is convinced that the current status quo of European football needs to change. We are proposing a new European competition because the existing system does not work. Our proposal is aimed at allowing the sport to evolve while generating resources and stability for the full football pyramid. Okay. Uh, including helping to overcome the financial difficulties experienced by our terrible decision-making no, uh, the, by the entire football community as a result of the pandemic. It would also provide material enhanced, materially enhanced uh, solidarity payments to all football stakeholders. Despite the announced departure of the English clubs forced to take such decisions due to the pressure put on them, we are convinced our proposal is fully aligned with the European law and regulations, as was demonstrated today by a court decision to protect the Super League from third-party actions. Given, given the cir current circumstances, we shall reconsider mo the most appropriate steps to reshape the project, always having in mind the goals of offering our fans the best experience possible while enhancing the solidarity payments for the entire football community. Signed, Brandon well, uh, uh, if you weren't surprised, uh, I'll kind of drop a fact here. Apparently, the PR firm uh, for the <laughs> Europa uh, Super League is uh, Theresa May's former <laughs> PR firm. Uh, so there, there's a, a swish there. Um, but yeah, just you know, don't don't forget this moment. Don't forget the importance of fans to this glorious game because uh, fans have not forgotten, and that is the thing to keep in mind. So. Until next time, touch the fans, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high up the fans. <laughs> <laughs>